This is the Horse Radio Network. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. Good morning, everybody. I am Glenn the Geek from Ocala, Florida, and you're listening to Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network. For October the 3rd, 2017, this is episode number 1789. Good morning, Horse World. Well, unfortunately, Emily is on the injured reserve list again this month, so we are bringing a best of S equestrian jumping episode to you. I picked out one from July 7, 2015, all about American breeders, bloodlines, and homebred champions. I think you're going to enjoy revisiting this episode, and I'm sure Emily will be feeling better for the next one next month. Jamie will be back tomorrow, and we will have a very special Draft Horse episode for you on Thursday. But for right now, enjoy this jumping episode from July 7th, 2015. Well, good Tuesday morning, everybody. I am Glenda Geek from Ocala, Florida. And I am Emily Thompson from Saugerties, New York. And you are listening to a special jumping edition of Horses in the Morning, on Horse Radio Network for July 7th, episode 1206, brought to you today by S Equestrian and GoldenGrow.com. Good morning, Horse World! Oh my God, yeah. it's Tuesday. It's top-class show jumping uh, at the very best. Every horse is different, and you've got to be able to understand and read each different horse. Remember, we're looking for those clears in this round to go forward to the jump off. You can't ask for anything more. It's just pure theatre. Well, good morning, everybody. Thank you for joining us on this Tuesday morning at Horses in the Morning. We appreciate you being here. If you're new to the show, Emily Thompson stops by the first Tuesday of every month and does a jumping episode with us, and we're so glad to have her. Good morning, Emily. Good morning. Happy to be here. We need two a month, I think. One is not enough. (laughs) I know. You just fill these shows with guests. It's like they're all lining up. I know. We have a good time, too. Yes, we do. It's a lot of fun. And I miss now that you're busy again and you're... See, now, the thing is, when your husband was away in Italy, we would talk a couple times during the month in between shows. And now that he's back, I never talk to you. I know. It's so funny. Well, you know, also, too, well, it's not totally his fault, okay? But <laughs> it's it's uh, when I'm down in Florida, too, we get to see each other. Like, yes. all the different events coming fun. up to Ocala. And I know it is. It's a change of pace, for sure, up here. Now you're well, in the middle of uh, in the middle of the woods in New York. Oh, I know. It's so it's so different up here. It's really it just couldn't be more different. It's awesome, but it's so uh, it is. We're like in the sticks. We're Saugerties, New York. It's by Woodstock. It's I mean, there it's just like forest. It's if lots of people come up here and go like uh, camping and hiking and then in the winter they're skiing and all this, but it's like super You know, it's the Catskills, like it's the mountain lands up here. It's not like Florida. (laughs) And it's cold. And of course, the the cooking school's up there, right? The uh, the, Yeah, the uh, Culinary Institute is really close to here. And so you, that is the one cool thing is the towns are really cute. There's really nice restaurants. Everybody, I mean, there's just 
great chefs in just every year, you know, graduating out of there. So you have such good wait staff. Everybody is plugged in and it's really, really good food pretty much everywhere you go. The towns here along the Hudson, Hudson River. You know, I would, if I had it to do over again, I might have gone to the, to the CIA. I might have done yeah. that. Except, you know what? Being a chef is a lot of work. And, you know, that's what kind of turned me off for the whole thing. <laughs> the truth comes out. <laughs> Actually, it was the workload. So instead, yeah. it's like, you're doing oh, that would be fun to do the school, but then you got to go out and actually like, cook stuff for people. Oh, so my gosh. they I, love know. it, though. They're passionate about it. It's such a, I drove on there. I, I tried to, you know, they've got like restaurants on the grounds. Yeah, you uh, can go there and eat, right? You can, like, but you have to make a reservation because I didn't realize that it was some random day. And I was like, oh, this is great. We're in the area. Let's pop in. And it was booked. Every Every restaurant was waiting list. You had to have a a um, reservation, and everybody raves about it. And the restaurants kind of like there's turnover. They like change the themes. Well, I think it's like the seniors, right? The the, yeah. the ones who are about to graduate get their real experience at those restaurants. Uh, yeah. So they're graded yeah, on right. it too. So you know they're going to want to put out good food and good service, right? <laughs> so, oh, totally. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's they're passionate about it. It's pretty cool. I did cook for a couple of years as a short order cook at a at a at a very busy diner in Pennsylvania. So I had an experience really? with that. You know, we oh, we wow. actually had a pancake griddle that was eight feet long, and and in breakfast in the morning that was full of pancakes for four hours. Uh, well, it was an eight foot long griddle, and that's all it had on it was pancakes. We oh we, we turned over so much stuff and. Kind of had the short order, you know, experience when I was that age. I imagine being a chef is a, it's probably still that way. You're still just hustling the entire time you're working. And it's, oh, it's it's got to be like high stress. It is. It is very high stress. And, you know, we would have people calling out orders. We'd have one guy that's just calling out the orders. And that's all he's doing is standing there calling out the orders. And, you know, he can read them. (laughs) The rest of us are trying to remember what he's calling out one after another after another. It's very high stress. Oh, man. Yeah. I didn't even think about that. Well, then, you know, the people get so irritable. When you get it wrong, yes. you know, at the tables <laughs> that it's like. Although really. intentionally, when I worked the midnight shift where we worked 11 at night to 7 in the morning, if somebody ordered a filet or some good steak, we'd intentionally screw it up so because then it would come back and then we'd eat it. So, so uh, we would eat the mistakes. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> That's not good for business, probably. <laughs> I don't know. That just place is out, out of there. business now, by the way. That's so funny. We we it helped it along its way. Yeah, that's right. Oh my god. Yeah, but hungry people, hungry people are angry people. That's true. You know, that's it's true. like such a hard crowd. <laughs> Jennifer, we're going to talk about something other than food today. What's on today's show? Thank you. On today's Equestrian Jumping episode, brought to you by Golden Grow Jumping Day live on Horses in the Morning features. Denise Wilson, who's going to tell us about prepping for a successful European tour. Maggie Fullerton stops by for a chat about her breeding program right here in America. And the Equestrian Corner product of the month is going to put us into a shopping mood. And then galloping through the finishing flags for a double clear, Taylor Flory recounts her adventures at the World Championships in Belgium. So stay tuned for the party, folks. Thank you so much, Jennifer. You know, it is funny because some of my other co-hosts I chat with uh, in between shows and we talk about horses in the shows. With Emily, when we chat in between shows, we just, it just could be anything. We just, it's true. We, we don't get really derailed. talk about horses at all, actually. We is this stuff. a cooking show? Yes, this is a right. cooking podcast, you and I, I should think. do a cooking, cooking show. That'd be fun. We should branch off. Yes. I think we've got talent for it. I know nothing about cooking. There, but that's I perfect. Do, I'm picky, you know, when it comes to my meals. That's perfect. All right. 
right. Let, and well, I wanted to mention, too, that Emily made an appearance on the Stable Scoop radio show last week, episode number 358. Uh, and she did a segment on horse shopping in Europe. We called it Horse Shopping in Europe 101. And she really gave us the... How do you do it? That was more of the nuts and bolts that if you're going horse shopping in Europe, this is what you need to know. So Yeah, that was good. I'm, I was glad we were able to get squeeze that in. Uh, I think, yeah, people want to know. It's interesting. It's actually easier, you know, than, than, than you think. It seems very daunting. But, uh, but yeah, check it out. Stable Scoop, episode 358 at StableScoop.com if you want to hear Emily doing that. And now, last time you were here, before we get to our first guest, you talked about your horse shopping trip briefly, and you said you had a couple of horses that you were looking at and getting vetted out. How did that all go? Or is there any coming home? Uh, there, uh, there will be horses coming home. It is, it's just such a long process when you go over. And I had a few orders that I was looking for, some for clients, and then I'm actually looking, you know, everybody sort of knows I retired my Grand Prix horse this year that my husband was also riding, the high heels mare. And so we were, I'm looking for something for myself to develop, something young, but, you know, for for the jumpers for the future. So I really needed to look everywhere. Um, I went to so many different locations. And uh, what I, I'm, I ended up doing probably the highest volume of quality horses is my favorite place to go. Normally is the only place I, I go, but I did want to cover some other angles. Um, but shopping at Stahl Ramsbrock, which is in Menslage, Germany, huge stud farm. He's got four to 5,000 horses, <clears throat> excuse me, all, not all under tack. They're breeding horses. He's got maybe like a hundred jumping and a hundred dressage under tack at any time. But, uh, it, I mean, it was epic. There was so much quality and so many horses that I, I have a list. <laughs> we, I've got all the videos that correspond with the list, the number of horses that we, that we tried. And, uh, I ended up after all of it, probably looking at maybe like, gosh, I guess maybe like 30 horses, something like this, maybe a little bit more. And now we have maybe like a 10 horse list of like really top candidates that all the information done, all the background research, and now, now it's time for the vetting. It's and like the, vetting, the IKEA of horse shopping. It really is. It's like, and that's a little bit why I put together the episode I did today. Because okay, like this is we have to do it. Some you go over, you shop in Europe. People do it, and if if that's what somebody wants to do, a client, well, then we facilitate, we do it. But you can do a lot of great domestic shopping here. We are breeding. The breeding programs are really ramping up. We're having a lot of success. So it's it. it you know, you've got you need to kind of. You pick your pick your direction and, and you have options. You've got options in domestic and overseas. But anyways, I did. I'm working through the list. I the, the American vetting is so much more particular than the European vets. You can have the, the vetting done over there with the x-rays and all everything. But when you send them home, your vet may have something different to say about it because the market is just very, very difficult over here. They just there's things that can be acceptable over there are not over here. So you end up, you, you'd be surprised, you know, you kind of need to have a couple on your list that, that are contenders. Oh, and so, then, so you're, uh, you may be okay with them for a horse for you personally, but you know, if exactly. you have to resell that horse, you're going to have trouble. Yeah. That's the deal. And you know what you, you've got, I don't, I mean, I, I go back and forth kind of, you need to buy the horse that's right for you, but it's also for me, it's a business. You know, I can't buy something that if at the end of the day, it's not a big ring horse for me, I need to sell it. You know, this, the, the show goes on. So it, it certainly matters. Um, so I'm, I'm actually two horses deep right now on my list. <laughs> so we're working down. Uh -oh. We've had a few vettings, a few flunked vettings for you know, various things that, you know, it probably don't affect the horse competition wise. Um, but the American market, it is very, very particular. So we will see to be continued. Uh, that is hard. Why do you when you're think the, the American market has such a 
different point of view on what passes and what not, what doesn't. You know, what do you think causes that? I don't know, to be honest. I just, I think, uh, you know, I, I don't really know. I think that we definitely are, are more picky. I think that, um, that they, you know, people are, are scared too, because the, you end up spending a great deal of money on these horses. So when you're looking at a horse, maybe you're buying an investment horse at a certain price tag. Well, the idea is that you're going to put in a year, two years of work and show expenses and development and market this animal. And the idea is that you're sort of ushering it into another price bracket. And so maybe some of the things are okay at one price, but then you say, well, at the higher price, or we're looking for an amateur horse that's going to go jump around 140 and this horse might have to start getting its hawks injected at a young age or, you know, things start to kind of change. So you need to look at the, at the long-term picture um, but it's, it, it certainly is. There's quite a few things that our vets are more particular Ooh, on. Interesting. Not that doesn't mean that you can't have the European vet do the vetting. Like we just hand over the x-rays and the clinical, the, the write-up and everything like that. So the vetting is actually done over there, but, but yeah, the same information being passed over to your vet, they'll, uh, have a few things to say. Most likely <laughs> very rarely do you get hundred percent clean vetting. Oh, that that doesn't happen. I know, right? <laughs> That's and if hard you do, the, it's hard as the, the problems in the brain, probably. Well, and it's hard as the buyer, though, because we went through that too. It's hard as the buyer to to go. I mean, you really are taking a chance, going, okay, he has that. It might not be anything. It might be something. You you have you're kind of deciding your risk reward too. You know. Yep. Exactly. Uh, you know, so as the buyer, it's it's tough too because there's tough decisions to be made. You don't always get it right, and, it, and if you know if you're limited on funds, then it really is tough because it really. Really is. Yeah, You're it going, is, and I, I can afford to do one horse, and if I screw this up, I'm screwed. It is, yeah. you know, and that's and then you put all your eggs in one basket. So, and that's what you hope, you know, you you can be professional about it and have a good eye for the selection. And but yeah, it absolutely is a gamble, and uh, and the resale really does need to be on the agenda. I mean, it can't, you know, it's it, the one that I'm sort of, I'm, I've got to call, going to have to call into Germany once uh, we're done with the radio here today to, um, to sort out this vetting on the one horse, such a minor thing, but it just, um, you know, going into resale into a different price bracket, people, they want, they want the whole enchilada. They want that horse because it's expensive, you know, if they're going to buy something and they want to have some sort of uh, guarantee that it's going to keep going, at least be insurable on all of these different things, no old injuries, but again, that's why I put together this episode today because there's a lot of domestic opportunities here for the same quality horses, the starting, the breaking. We're going to talk with Taylor Flurry, who actually has a young horse right now qualified for one of the. Well, not to um, mention, you can save yourself ten grand not having oh, to I know. ship it. <laughs> oh, I know it's outrageous. Like I do it because it's you know my job and we're doing it. But the whole time I'm over there, I'm like, this is so ridiculous. Like we could just do this at home, and then you can put the you know extra seven to ten grand or whatever you're going to spend shipping at home. You can put that into horse flesh quality. You know, maybe you bump up a price bracket because you can shop domestically. But there's great horses here. There really are, and they're producing. You know, it's proven. It's been going on long enough in this country now that you're seeing real results. Well, we'll, uh, we'll have to ask Denise when we get her on too. You know, how many horses do you actually start? I mean, how many horses do you start that end up being something, you know, that end up going to that top level? Uh, that's an interesting question too. Absolutely. Yeah, totally. I think from, from everybody, Denise does do some breeding at home and she herself is a competitive rider riding top international sport right now. It's very exciting. Um, but she can give you really a window into, the 
into both stages because a lot of times there's a breeder and then there's another place that's the riding stable yard that does the breaking and all this and then the development and they kind of go on their way. But some of these guys are actually doing the management, breeding, um, and developing at home so they can really give you a, a, a proper view of that. Well, why don't you introduce her? We'll bring her on. Perfect. So we have Miss Denise Wilson, who is actually one of our new Essequestrian-sponsored riders. We're very lucky to have her on the team. And she was just recently in Europe showing with the squad. So we're so grateful she took a little time out of her busy day to be on the radio. Welcome, Denise Wilson. Hi there. How are you guys? We're good. We're good. You're you're at the barn, it sounds like. I I am. I actually, if I... <laughs> If I sound out of breath, I just hopped off schooling one. Oh, well, I'm so glad that you're able to squeeze it in. It's so great to have you on. Well, thank you for having me. Very cool. So, Denise, maybe not everybody knows your – I know that you're a competitive rider out there kicking it in the uh, Grand Prix rank, going to Europe. You also <laughs> have an at-home business, Bluegate Farm. You can check it out online, bluegatefarm.com. Um, just share with us a little bit, Denise, about your your background. How did you, not everybody even knows kind of the, the specs. How does something like this happen to be on a squad, an American squad, to be selected and go overseas? Wow, I mean, it's incredible. Just tell us a little bit about your riding background and, and how this uh, this happened for you that you were selected. Well, it's, uh, it was definitely an honor and, and a, an unbelievable experience that I'm, I'm really grateful for. I, uh, I, did not grow up in a horse family or anything. I just really liked horses as a kid. And, you know, over the years, you know, built my experience and got better. And I uh, was lucky enough to come across uh, my horse Winter three years ago. And uh, he was able to help me and teach me to learn to jump some big enough jumps where I was unable to show at big enough competitions to get noticed. Um, you know, they, they do take the squads off the USF, uh, the Rolex show jumping list. So it helps when you have good results in the Grand Prix and you get points. And then um, when you when you apply for the teams, they, they go down the list and there's a selection committee. And Diane Langer gave me a call in, in about April and asked if I'd be interested in, in doing uh, the team in Lisbon. And of course, I, I took the opportunity without hesitation. It's amazing. It's so cool. So now you, I mean, you're a, a so talented young rider as well, which is so exciting to get this experience. Um, and I know your horse winter, really cool, cool horse, but you showed another, another one as well, right? Tell me, how does that work? Do you bring your horse? Is it on rankings with the one, one particular horse or you, you brought two, um, right? Well, they do, they do select you on a certain horse, uh, which I was selected to do the team on winter. They do, obviously, you're, you're welcome to bring a second horse. I decided to bring a, a newer mount um, named, named Glue. It was a horse I got at the end of March. And uh, he, was, he was super dependable, so I decided to, to bring him to do the second classes, the speed classes, 140, 145. Um, and it just helped me get in the ring, not only on one horse, just so I was always comfortable. I had another ride. I could really, you know, catch my rhythm. But the second horse is up to the discussion of the rider. Wow. Yeah, you really, you, I, I thought about that, um, seeing your Facebook news feed with you going over there because yes. you were there for quite a few weeks, right? Yes. Yeah. And that was also a personal choice of mine. Um, other teammates only went for three weeks. Um, okay. Myself and Heather Caristo and Alex Granado decided to do a two-star in Madrid 
um, two weeks before Lisbon. And we all thought it was a good idea to go over since it actually was all of our first time over showing in Europe and competing on a team. We wanted to make sure we were really prepared. And I think, to be honest, that helped us a lot. Um, yeah. You know, being first time on a team, doing a, a two-star show where there was less pressure. I mean, it right. was still definitely a horse show, but it was less pressure. So we were able to learn, you know, how the shows in Europe work. And we were able to make sure our horses were going to peak at the right time. They weren't going to be fatigued from the flight um, and, and things like that. And, you know, they, they all, uh, Heather and Alex both had to go home after Lisbon. I decided to stay an additional two weeks and show it a three-star in uh, Luxembourg. Um, I figured if I was going over there, I may make the most of it. Oh, yeah, totally. What an experience. I mean, you guys did really well, too. It's awesome to watch. Now, tell us about the Thanks. star ratings. Explain that to us. The pe- people don't maybe understand um, the star sure. system. The, in the FEI, that's the International um, Federation, there's everything from a one-star to a five-star. Um, obviously, five-stars are the biggest shows, the biggest jumps, the biggest, toughest competition. Um you can, it, it's also, you get a star rating based on money. So like a three-star has, um, there was just a three-star in Tryon. And to qualify to be a three-star show, it, it really goes off how much money you offer. Um, but then coming along with it, a three-star is going to be bigger jumps than a four-star. Or sorry, bigger jumps than a two-star. And a four-star is going to be obviously bigger than a three-star. Um Oh, so, so you can, the prize money, it correlate, the prize money correlates with the, with the height as well. So as you get a larger purse, then you're most likely going up you draw, star yeah. rankings. Correct. Okay. And, and then you draw, you draw better riders as well for the bigger jumps and the more money. So when you say five star, that's going to be the top of the line, toughest, best in the world. Um, you know, all the, the global champions from all the GCT events are five star. They do also run in the, uh, yeah, they're all five stars. Nice. That's okay. So you went, so back it up here. So you had two horses, they flew over and you decided you would go and do a two star. So smart, um, going over. So what, what was the timing like that? How did, when did the horses get there? How much rest did they get? Well, they, uh, they flew the week about five days before the two star started. Um, or the week of the two star. So we flew them into Liège and they then traveled to Madrid, which took them two days of travel time. And uh, they rested. We had uh, probably three days in Madrid before the show started. So we made sure they were all recuperated. We did the two star in Madrid. And um, Heather had a friend that organized for us to actually stay in Madrid before we traveled to Lisbon, which was really nice. And uh, it cut down our travel time to Lisbon by far. If we had traveled straight from Liège to Lisbon, it would have taken the horses three days to get there. Wow. It's, how did they ship? I mean, did you feel like they, got, they were rested enough with just the three days? Um, you know what? My, I got lucky. I think my horses traveled very well. I did not feel them fatigued like I thought they would. They're also both older horses, so I think they've been there, done that. So they kind of, you know, they're not nervous internal horses, so they don't worry when they travel. It's just kind of another day for them. Um, but I definitely 
definitely think it's a factor to always consider. Yeah, for sure. And first time travelers kind of seeing how you don't know, you know, how your horse is going to handle it. That's exciting. So now tell me about the competitions. You said it was just kind of, you were saying you were getting the hang of things over there, how the the horse shows are run. What, how, what's different? What, what did you pick up on really uh, immediately that was different? Um, Definitely the biggest difference is you share warm up jumps. Um, it's not, uh, it's not <laughs> no like fighting over jumps where they have, <laughs> Oh no, you, you better be used to sharing because, uh, it's, you know, they all, FEI is only required to provide a vertical and an oxer for everybody. And, um, so just one each? You have to have, uh, yes, just, just a vertical and an oxer. That's the minimum that is actually required. Um, we were lucky enough in Madrid, they, they gave us two verticals and two oxers. Um, but you can imagine it's not the same as here in America where you can have your very own dump when you're six horses out. So a lot of times you have to start warming up earlier and then you wait till you're closer and then you'll have to borrow the jump from whoever's using it at that point to, um, you know, set what you, you need or anything like that. So there's, it takes a lot of communication between wow. a rider and their staff and then also the other riders and their staff. Bumper jumpers. Seriously. Yeah. Well, and, and coming, I mean, you, you've got to be a really strong mental competitor to be able to handle something like that, like your warm-up school getting totally derailed as an American rider. I mean, people are like teaching lessons out there, you know, putting ground poles and all that. Okay, yeah. at your level, it's different. But yeah. still, it's the same. I mean, that's got to like be like, whoa, like it's got to shake you up a little bit to not be able to do your school. Yeah. It was. It was definitely... Uh, interesting the first time, you know, but that's why I was really, really thankful to have Madrid before Lisbon, uh, because then by the time Lisbon rolled around, we were all used to it and, um, it wasn't so stressful. That's amazing. Now, all of your, you riders, this was the first time showing on the squad overseas, right? Yes. Yes, it was. Yeah, that's really exciting. It's very, very exciting to see depth in the team and for you, because all of you guys are so young too, going over and, and, you know, everyone's old enough to be consistent and and ride, you know, you guys know what you're doing, but it's just like, I don't feel like we've had a a good, a good young team like this uh, in a while. It was, I was really excited when, when they announced the team and, you know, the, the people I went over with, we were all, you know, we all knew each other. We all liked each other. And I think it just made, everybody's first experience, you know, more fun and, and, you know, easier and enjoyable. And you guys were really consistent. It sounded like everybody had a really good showing. Yes. Yeah. Everybody had a, had a, a good show and, um, you know, Catherine and, uh, Catherine Passmore and, and Paige Johnson were the other two. Um, and they, uh, they stuck together and did a show in, Eindhoven while we were in Madrid, but then when we all showed up to Lisbon, we all had kind of done the same game plan. So it was, it was nice when we all came together in in Lisbon and, um, you know, it was, it was really cool because the people we had, we were all very much a team. That's so cool. That's really fun. Yeah. It was great to follow. And, uh, I, I think that was really smart that you ended up staying over a little longer and doing the two star like that, just easing in. Very, very smart. Right. I got I to gotta ask, though, because, you know, I've eaten at a lot of German restaurants. There is no way you ate at a <laughs> yes. German restaurant the night before a show and then showed the next day. <laughs> I am actually a very big schnitzel fan. 
So <laughs> I did not really have a problem with it. I loved it. <laughs> you were <laughs> right at home in Schnitzelland. Schnitzelland yeah. beer. In, She's right I mean, at I home. Was, I was. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, right at home. Lisbon was different. Lisbon was a lot of a lot of seafood, um, but uh, that was still good. And I'm not so picky about about food. So. No matter where I am, I'm I'm pretty set. You settle in. <laughs> That's awesome. That's such a great experience. So now, what's on the schedule the, for you going coming up? Are you going to have anything? Any other international treks planned? Um. Well, not. Uh, I I will go to Canada to Angelstone tournaments um, near Toronto in uh, late August. I was just at Tryon last week for a three star there, um, but uh, I had some younger horses that uh, stayed at home. So the next couple months, I'm really going to focus on them and, and give them, you know, the attention to develop them and uh, winter and my other horse will take a little break for a couple weeks. Hey, I got to ask you, Denise, we were just talking about Tryon in North Carolina and uh, there was an article in the Palm Beach paper here recently about about how Tryon in North Carolina is is doing what Wellington should have done, and that's endorse horses, you know, in, embrace horses, uh, which right. Wellington City Council has trouble with. What did you think about Tryon when you were there? Um, you know, I, I think I read the article you guys are, are talking about, and they made some awesome points. I, I really liked Tryon. It was my first time there. Um, I think there was a quote in the article you guys are speaking about saying it was like Disneyland yes. for riders. Yes, yeah. Um, <laughs> and I have to say that that's a bit true. You know, I stayed in a camper um, while I was there, and they have restaurants on the property. They had a fitness center on the property. Did they have um, a roller coaster? They've done a beautiful job. <laughs> you know what? Not yet. Okay. But Not yet. I, uh, I'm hoping for one. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? They did have a merry-go-round. Oh, there you they go. Well, there you go. <laughs> That's how Disneyland closer. started small, too, back 70 years ago. Yeah. Hey, so so the question is, you know, he, obviously uh, the powers that be that, uh, that Bellissimo, he's not been happy with, with what's been happening in Wellington. He would love to make this a, you know, a, I'm sure the Disneyland quote, a 12, you know, a 12 month attraction, but it still gets freaking cold up there in the winter. Uh, you know, people are still going to be going to Wellington. I agree. Yeah. I agree. I don't, I don't think you'll, you're, you're going to see a change in that. I think um, Florida is Florida during the winter. Yeah, we were talking yeah. about the fact that I think if he wanted to accomplish that, he should have gone Ocala. You know, he could have uh, done something that right. was also in Florida or somewhere around Orlando and created a, a mecca there. But um, right, yeah, North well, Carolina. I can, I can tell you from annoying. personal experience, Ocala in the summer gets quite hot. So I, <laughs> yes, <laughs> I, uh, I think you know, I think with the climate and everything, not not that Tryon doesn't get hot either, but uh, Ocala is. is is still in Florida. I think um, having the winter months somewhere and the summer months somewhere else is is probably how it's going to stay. I don't think there is uh, one venue that could really claim all all twelve months. Yeah, I yeah, agree. we're migratory species. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So sounds funny. good. Well, thanks. So Denise. you guys check Denise out online. It's BGF for Bluegate Farm, sporthorses.com. She has young horses. Denise actually does a little bit of breeding, which is exciting. Some homebreds, boarding, training, 
and locations, Wisconsin and Florida. So check her out. Thank you so hey, much, Denise, for coming on. Denise, before you go, uh, oh, our, producer, our producer yes. Jennifer has an idea. She says Hawaii. It could be all 12 <laughs> months. You'd be perfect. Uh, oh, there you go. That sounds good to me. Weather's great. I'm good with that. You never have to travel. Just live there. Be fine. Yeah, if you Perfect. didn't have to travel, seriously, that. it would be great. <laughs> but the, the, if, if in fact, you had to go anywhere, you would pay for it. That That's first true. time you tried That's to leave, true. you'd be like, this is the worst place ever. <laughs> but if people came to you, if you could have like a global champions tour like or something there, and be like, all right, we've got a few good horse yeah. shows. That's right. Hey, That's just going to stay here. work on it. Thanks, oh Denise. So thank you so I, much, Denise. That's a good idea. Talk to you all soon. Right, thank you, guys. Bye. Bye. So funny. Yeah. <laughs> it could. Good idea, yeah, Jennifer. Could. Good idea. It's a little expensive they have to keep there. You. Yeah, they if, do. If they, not. they have yeah. quite a few horses there. We used to, when we had our tax shop back, we were one of the first ones online back in the 90s, and we used to get a lot of orders from Hawaii and Alaska because they, uh-huh. there were no tax shops, so they had to order, you know, and, and internet was just coming on then, so they were just figuring out how to order from the internet. Yeah, we had, um, I guess, maybe like eight or nine years on one of my big shopping trips over in Germany. There was a nice family from uh, Hawaii, from the the Big Island, I guess. And they had, they did dressage, like pretty high level dressage. And they had horse shows and they bought some dressage horses and flew them back to Hawaii. I was like, whoa, I had no idea. Same like when I heard like there was this booming horse industry in China. Like there's just sort of some things that you just don't. That you, you know, you don't hear about whatever, but it, it is. Horse sport is picking up all over the world. Well, let's introduce our next guest who would like you to uh, make sure that horse sport is uh, picking up all over the world. Yes, it's true. So we are very fortunate to have another domestic breeder here, Maggie Fullington from Maribet Farm. Welcome, Maggie, to the show. Well, thank you. I'm happy to be here. Great. I'm so glad it worked out. I know we've been trading uh texts back and forth and this is great i was so so excited to hear the story the background on your your farm your business you've got all the success with your stallion mf bliss so fill us in tell us about maribet farm well it was um a long time dream we started off just um as a family breeding um ponies for our kids then we got into um mom and my sister and i um rode in the hunters and then I moved to Florida basically because I wanted to start a bigger breeding program um, with Warmbloods. So 12, oh, 13 years later, here we are. Wow. Uh, it's been a, a terrific, fun road getting here. And now do your, you stand your own stallions, right? Yes. Um, when I first um, started thinking about breeding, of course, my initial thought was buy mares, which I did. Um, but then I saw a picture of a three-week-old colt that was just the epitome of everything that I loved. And I bought him. And then shortly after that, at the uh, registry inspection, he was named a stallion prospect. And I thought, huh, why not? So that's where it began with Baltimore. And where did you buy that horse? I bought Baltimore um, from Jumpstart Farm when they were in California. And, okay. Uh, brought him here and raised him here and um, raised him as a, as a stallion prospect, obviously. Um, got some great training. We started him in dressage for a year. And then um, Nikki Shahanian Simpson uh, started him over fences for me, um, one of the greatest riders ever. And she did a terrific job. 
And uh, now he's ridden by Jennifer Papernick, who's a terrific um, hunter trainer in Wellington. And um, hopefully we're going to get back to the horse shows. We've had a little bit of a problem actually getting there thanks to HIV viruses and pulled muscles and things, but we're still heading in that direction. (laughs) But regardless, he's putting beautiful babies on the ground. That's very exciting. um, Yes. Shortly after that, I uh, imported a a wonderful mare by Argentinus and a bred her to Balou Duré and got Bliss MF. And the moment he was born, I knew he was a stallion prospect. So so he's our biggest, most popular stallion. And um, then we have Carry On, who is another one that we bred ourselves. Uh, by Corlando, and then just recently um, we acquired um, Apiro, who's uh, tried and true. Um, he's been around a long time. He's 15 and has fabulous stuff on the ground. So it's it's exciting. We're building. Yeah, I think I find it interesting that you've been doing it long enough at this stage, and then even um, purchasing the the original horse that you discussed. That some of these horses have multiple generations of homebred parents, which is very exciting. We were talking earlier about you know sometimes okay we have to go and uh, do uh, you know shopping trips in Europe, you know shopping for clients, all of this. But the reality is is that the blood we can do that here. We can breed these okay. fantastic pedigrees, and and you're doing that. And I love to see a couple generations like that of of homebred. So. Yeah, it's it's really well, yeah. really special. And, and actually, I, I'm on four generations of, of homebreds, which is very exciting. I think we're, we're one of the few farms that have gotten that far, and um, just knowing what we want and, and what we're breeding for um, is so important. We study bloodlines like crazy and and try to produce the best possible things that we can. But honestly, I think we are producing um, warm bloods that are equally as good as as what we can get in Europe. So we all are hoping that Americans will shop here more and in Europe. Absolutely. It's, I mean, we were like, we were talking about earlier, if the quality is the same, which it is, I I mean, I'm not an expert, but I do study the bloodlines and seeing the different horses and I do go over and have to shop in Europe periodically. So I I can do comparison immediately. And it absolutely is. Um, I think people don't, they don't know that the quality is there. They don't know exactly where, how they could start shopping or looking, which is kind of, we're trying right yeah. to raise awareness on the radio by pumping out the websites and all of this. The other thing is your budget goes so much farther if you shop domestically because you don't have to put them on the airplane. It's like, Absolutely. Duh. And you know, you see, um, foals advertised for, you know, 5,000 euros or 7,500 euros. And everybody thinks, oh, you know, what a great deal. But then they have to put, you know, 8,000 euros on top of that to get them here, which, you know, you're talking well over $15,000 by the time you're finished. And, you know, a good foal on the ground here. I mean, I try to sell mine for 15, um, but I've seen foals of excellent quality for much less than that. So, um, you know, they, they're the, the good folds are here. People just have to look. No, absolutely. And, and Maribet farm is online. You can check them out. Maribetfarm.us. Um, now tell me Maggie for your program, you have, is that sort of the norm for you that you're selling weanlings or yearlings or kind of how does the, the business, what, what kind of business is it in the U S for you right now? Originally, we started off with the thought that we would breed and let them grow up and start them um, and then sell them once they were under saddle because obviously you can get much more money for them. Unfortunately, my farm is small, and so I've realized that 
for me to have all these horses in the you know, south Florida where the expenses are ridiculous, um, it doesn't make sense. So now we try to sell more um, weanling yearling age, um, but we do hold a few back that we think are really special. Um, typically mares, because sometimes we like to breed them once um, as a four-year-old uh, before we sell them. So, or, or if they produce something wonderful, then we don't sell them. But um, so you know, again, it, it's a building process to um, to look and see you know what's producing what we like, and um, and then we just go from there. It, it's fun. I mean, it's a little bit like gambling. You know, <laughs> yeah, totally. A bit of a crapshoot, but so, but if you're careful. You know, um, I mean, we, we've been really, really lucky. Our folks, you know, have been terrific. And we've, um, you know, Bliss MF is, is producing incredible foals. I don't think we've had anything but premium foals and um, some named Stein Prospects and foals of distinction with um, Oldenburg GOV and, you know, just terrific uh, results. We're very, very happy. And then um, Baltimore, you know, is our purely hunter stallion and yet, um, he has dressage lines on the bottom and has actually produced a couple of dressage horses. So we try to let all of our horses pick their own discipline based on their ability. We, we don't try to you know, put a round hole in a square box, but, um, but for the most part, we get um, jumper quality so that whether they go to the hunter ring or the jumper ring, they have great athletic ability and great brains. That's my big thing. Yeah, the temperament is so important. So that was my next question is, is what is your, as you're selecting bloodlines and, and uh, creating a sort of a type that you like at Maribet Farm, you have to also present for inspection. So you are, are you using one registry or are you sort of adhering to, you know, some of the different registries? Well, you know, they, they say they like certain things like the Dutch horses with the long legs and the small head and all of this. So right. what is, what are you breeding for? And then what are you doing with the babies for presenting them? We actually use several different registries because our mare owners use lots of different registries. So I like to stay current with all of them. Um, Apiro and Bliss MF are approved with almost everything. So um, we try to spread it out a little bit to, um, you know, like for instance, this in July we're having um, – Oldenburg GOV, RPSI, which is actually now German Sport Horse, um, and BWP, Belgian Warm Blood, um, inspections here on the farm, um, which are obviously open to anybody else who wants to come. And uh, so we try to spread it out a little bit to uh, keep current with everybody. That's great. And I, we didn't touch on this. I don't, I didn't say it in the beginning, but um, I find it really remarkable. The location of your breeding farm is, uh, what are you, maybe like 45 minutes or so uh, outside Wellington, Florida? Well, actually by car, we're 30 minutes. By horse trailer, we're about 45 minutes. <laughs> I do all um, my math yeah. by horse trailer. Yes. It's <laughs> <laughs> funny. No um, yeah. That's, I mean, you're just right there in the market. It's so close. Well, that was my original plan. You know, unfortunately, I didn't take into consideration how expensive it is to be here. But it is nice during the winter to have people be able to just come up to the farm um, and, and look at the young horses. But interestingly enough, while that happens, um, an awful lot of the horses that we sell, we sell sight unseen. People will look at a video and say, I want that one. And and they send a check. It's, it's amazing wow. how much media... Um, has come into play with selling horses. 
That's so interesting. Well, for sure. I mean, if you're saying that the majority of the business is in that is in that yearling weanling age, there's not much more to see. Is it just in the paddock or? Well, you know, we, we, what we do is we put them in the ring. Um, actually, it's funny. I just finished a video on a young blitz cult that I have. And, um, you know, we put them in the ring to show gates, you know, with their moms. And then what we'll do is we'll put um, either the pole on the ground or, or, you know, raise it at one end so that they'll jump a little tiny bit, you know, maybe, uh, oh, six inches off the ground. And it's, it's interesting because the foals, even though there's really no height involved, they look at the rail and go, oh, what's that, and jump. And so they can give you an idea of what their jumping style is, um, which I think is really important. And Oh, yeah. Um, I didn't realize you could do and, that at such a young age. That's fantastic. Yeah, because, you know, it, it's interesting. A lot of people go, oh, my God, you can't jump foals. Well, if you look at them out in the pasture, doing, <laughs> you know, leaps into the air, they're way higher up than, than they would ever be, you know, jumping a six-inch pole on the ground. So, no, you're not going to hurt them at that age. And and it just gives the buyer an indication of their style and way of going and, and how they approach the jump. Um, you know, if they approach the jump and, and look at it and measure it and jump it in stride, that's a wonderful thing. And uh, fortunately, the Bliss Babies have a tendency to do that right from the start. It's amazing. So um, it, it's fun to see that. But, you know, the other fun thing, too, is that sometimes you look at one and you see this movement, um, you know, a great hind end and, and, a, and a sharp front end, and you go, hmm, maybe this one needs to go to the dressage ring. So it, it also gives you an indication of which direction they might be going in. That's interesting. Yeah. Is, do you find that the qualities that the, the say, yearling and under category will display at that age kind of stay yeah. true as the horse matures? I mean, you've been doing it long enough. No doubt you see your progeny out there all over, I'm sure. You know, I, I absolutely they do show you from the very beginning. And it's interesting because the Baltimore affiliate that I have um, in the dressage ring now Originally, I thought, you know, of course, she's going to be a hunter. Baltimore's a hunter. And we raised her as a hunter. We, we start all of our young horses in dressage because it's a great basis for, for all good riding. And she did beautifully. And we all thought, oh, boy, you know, she could go to the dressage ring. But really, you know, she's a hunter. Of course, she's a hunter. So then we started jumping her. And she jumped, you know, absolutely adorably. But she would be one of those that would be a little quicker off the ground than we would like to see. So we thought, huh, instead of beating her up to get her to go slow off the ground, she's got this incredible movement and, and a natural sit. Why not just let her be a dressage horse? So, of course, I called a friend of mine who's a dressage rider, and I said, you know, why this one? What do you think? And she got on her and rode her for about 15 minutes, and she said, you've got a dressage horse. She's amazing. So that was that. So you really wow. do, you know, as, as the years have gone on, I've realized more and more, you really do need to let them uh, pick their own discipline, but also that you really can tell from the very beginning. Yeah, that's so interesting. So, I mean, because that's really, I, th I think, where it's going to go. People want to shop domestically and you know, it's, it, it's so cost effective to, to be able to, to buy a yearling or under age group horse at home. So to be able to, to know what to do, where to look. So, so for you, if somebody's going to come shopping with you, they get on your website or are, are there, do you have uh, horses listed on there? Do they contact you? I do. Yep. Um, and I also have a big Facebook presence, which, you know, is honestly so much easier 
um, I have a Maribet Farm Facebook page, and I have a Facebook page for all four stallions, and then, of course, I have a personal page, which really is just uh, an offshoot of the farm. But um, I post everything there, and, and that you know, there's a great audience there. But everything, you know, I try to get everything on my website as well. Um, and, 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 you know, we have um, the biggest problem we have in this country really is having the availability for people to come and look at a lot of horses at once. So one of the great things about this area is that if people are horse shopping, you know, they come to Wellington to look for horses under saddle, but then can also take a stop up here to perhaps look for young horses, uh, which happened quite a bit this past winter. People came down looking for horses under saddle and stopped by and sure enough ended up buying some babies. So that's uh, really nice. That's great. I think it's really picking up. You know, I get mixed reviews out there because I'm at the horse shows and you know, it's the a, a horse show, so you don't have a lot of babies and people maybe don't aren't really educated on that. It's a different market. I kind of, you know, have a foot in both worlds. Um, and so I do, I ask around because as you know, I'm doing a little bit of breeding and, and I'm really championing right. this American breeding movement in the States. It, there's just no reason that it shouldn't be as successful um, as the stud farms in right. Europe. But, you know, people don't, they don't know. They're like, there's no market for foals or weanlings or yearlings. I'm thinking, I think that's not right. People just don't know how to access and if they can eva- trust themselves to evaluate. Um, and then, you know, we just a, the, the, yeah. the volumes there. I had a question for both of you. Is there, I know dream horse and all the usual for sale sites, but uh, is there a website for just homebred, uh, uh, you know, competition horses like this? Breeders. Yeah. Well, there, there are several sale sites and unfortunately, you know, you feel like you have to have a presence on all of them, which, honestly is is almost more work than than i can deal with um so no there isn't one there are many um and 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 dream horse and and warm bloods for sale and um oh gosh there's there's so many actually one of the best ones um superior equine sires is a site um run by carol austin who is um, just a terrific woman and, and very, very knowledgeable. And it's where a lot of people, most people buy their frozen semen for breeding. But she's also developed a sales site that's really taking off. And uh, the format is terrific. And honestly, I think that's probably the best sales site uh, going right now. Interesting. Yeah, because that's and what it's also, about now is get, getting the word out. Yes. She, she also lists um, North American stallions on her um, frozen semen website, which is so nice of her. Um, so that, you know, that's a, a great way to find, you know, stallions that you can get fresh semen from in, instead of frozen semen, of course, um, which is a little bit easier to work with, quite a bit easier to work with. But, um, but you know, we, we do, we're limited somewhat in the stallions that we have here. We have really good stallions, <clears throat> excuse me, but we, but, um, I know I'm bringing in new bloodlines, and I think other people are trying to as well um, to increase the choices that that we have. Um, I'm also um, really pushing for people who are in the show world, and and hopefully you can spread this word. Um, If a mare um, has to be laid up for a year for a suspensory or whatever, breeder, especially if she's a great mare, um, retired mares, you know, if you retire them at 14, 15, 16, they still have four, five, six years of breeding ahead of them. So I'm really yeah. trying to encourage show people to, to look for breeders to um, to give these great older mares to 
because the only way we're going to get those bloodlines is to use the mares that have been imported from Europe, as an example, and then, you know, can actually produce babies here. Yeah, no, for sure. And and now do you facilitate that if somebody has a competition mare, they've recently retired and they'd like to use one of your stallions, would they, would you board the mare essentially and do Mm -hmm. the the full birth, all of that? So, so that, that would be an an easy step for somebody to take as well. Um, if they had a mare. And actually I, I have done that. Um, I have had several people give me wonderful, um, retired competition mares who have produced phenomenal stuff. And um, it's, it's really the way to go. So I hope people will, instead of just retiring their mares out to, you know, a pasture to do nothing, will think about finding a good, reputable breeder. Um, and, and that's really the key is to investigate your breeders because we have had a couple of instances where breeders have not turned out to be so uh, reputable. But, but for the most part, all of us are, are really terrific people trying our best to produce super horses for the American market. Well, it's very exciting, and you're you're doing such an amazing job. I've been on your website. The horses are real quality. You guys check them out if you're looking for a foal, looking to breed. Maybe you've got hey, a retired Emily, mare. You have to yeah. uh, unplug for us. And, unplug. Yeah. I'll, I'll, so, Maggie, thank you for being here. Emily has to unplug her mic here, and we appreciate you stopping by. Thanks, Maggie. Well, thanks so much for having me. All right. Take care. Take care. Talk to you soon. Right, bye-bye. Bye. Okay. Bye-bye. Sorry about that. You were going wonky on us. Uh oh. I know. I need to. I need to be quicker. Catch it before it happens. <laughs> it's all, and it is at that hour mark. Uh, it's always. Like, I know. And normally I have an internal clock, but I was talking. <laughs> well, let's. Uh, you are listening to Horses in the Morning. I'm Glenda Geek here with Emily Thompson, and of course, it's Jumping Day here on Horses in the Morning. Coach Jen is in the producer chair. We're brought to you today by S Equestrian. Tell us what's going on over at S. Well, we have kind of some exciting new things happening. Uh, You can check us out on Facebook, S Equestrian. It's E-C-E Equestrian. We, as everybody kind of knows, we've been on the market for a while. We've been doing our stock S Equestrian shirts. They're machine washable, wrinkle-treated, stain-treated, beautiful fabric, uh, really hard-wearing. And they come with a, a liner, seasonal colors, things like this that we design. And they a little bit changed seasonally, but for the most part, we have our stock regular colors, the black, navy, um, green, and lavender. Uh, But going forward, we are getting a lot of traction with our custom orders. So we have now the minimums. We've been able to bring down the minimums on the custom orders, which actually has your logo inside the collar and your embroidery on the outside and your Pantone color choice of snaps. So for only eight pieces, which is a very small number when you're talking about a barn, they need to be inside the same style. So it would be eight shirts, long sleeve, various sizes, or eight shirts, short sleeve, various sizes like this. But you can do your own custom logo and embroidery. They're really sharp. They're great team building, fun for barns. So that, and then also we have now been able to source our jacket fabric with better minimums and quantities. And we have now been able to open up single piece custom orders, which is very exciting. It's, uh, we have short and long and a bunch of different sizes, six sizes inside each. So it's not technically custom to where we measure you, you, but, and, and it's your, like you fit into one of these measurements, but there's because it's made to order, we have a lot a lot more uh, sizing categories. So you get a much more custom fit. And then from there, you get to pick among two different styles, the sport and the classic. 
coat, which people have seen on Facebook. And from there, then you get to pick fabrics and trimmings. We have 17 base fabric colors now available for the jacket. And you can pick your liner, liner color, trim, and then any sort of embroidery on the outside. So it it really is a, a made-to-order jacket. It's not 100% custom, but it is going to be much closer fit than you're going to get out there on the racks. So you guys check it out online. What's your lead time on the jackets? It is, it's about four to six weeks. It's not so, so bad. Okay, cool. Very good. That's sequestrian.com, right? sequestrian.com. And that's spelled E-C-E, E-C-E, equestrian.com. And we also have another sponsor for this show. We do. This is one of my favorite supplements, actually. Uh, Anybody that knows me knows I am a champion of Golden Grow. You can check them out growyourownchamp.com. Golden Grow is a soy-based supplement ideal for all competitive horse breeds, sweeping the equine world one champion at a time. Golden Grow helps muscle growth and definition, enhances coat and hoof growth, and is an all-around great supplement for competitive horses. Our clients include world record holders and breeders crown champions. Even better, they have a 100% money-back guarantee after years of success in equestrian sport. We know that there is no better supplement for your horses than Golden Grow. Not convinced? Start using Golden Grow today. And if after 45 days of using Golden Grow as directed, you're not satisfied, we'll refund 100% of your money. Guaranteed. Try it risk-free and see the difference yourself. And it is the real deal. I use it on my competition horses. There's all sorts of testimonials online. People are actually using it in their breeding horses too. It's great for mares and foal. And then people that are that are getting their yearlings, two-year-olds, things like this under tack and, and starting to work with them, they're having huge success with it. It's really a great all-around health product. And uh, it's, it's like they say, it's good for the feet and the hair, the coat, all of it. It's an all-around supplement. So you guys check it out. Can't go wrong. Money-back guarantee. All right, very good. Well, let's uh, let's take a break here for a song, and then we're going to come back. We'll have uh, more guests for you lined up today. We're going to continue conversation about breeding. We also have a product pick of the month coming up from Equestrian Corner in just a minute. But how about a little Templeton Thompson with I Can Do This? We'll be right back after this. It's gonna be hard I can get through this Cause I've got the scars to prove I have before I've been through this war And I have survived I'm still alive I can do this It's gonna take time I've learned to live with Everything that life has handed me With humility And I have survived I'm still alive, yeah 
but I'm gonna need help. I know I can't do it all by myself. You know I've tried and tried. I paid such a heavy price, but I have survived. I'm still a Templeton Thompson with I Can Do This. You can listen to all of her music at templetonthompson.com. All right, we are ready for our next guest, Emily. Awesome. So we have our resident barn girl, Luann Smith from the equestriancorner.com, bringing us our tried and tested new product pick. Welcome to the show, Luann. Hey, guys, how are you? We're good. We're good. Welcome back. Thanks. Thanks. How are you? It's warmer now since I'm the last well. time we talked. Yes, loving it. <laughs> yeah, Although we're having lots of rain. <laughs> are you? Oh yeah, yeah. That's... About every day. <laughs> oh man, yeah. The rain can really okay. Rain if it's not cold, it's doable. But yeah, it gets in the tack. Yeah, you got to oil the leather. The yep. boots are muddy. Yeah, you have to have yep. the right gear yep. for rain. That's Definitely. for sure. Definitely. So what what did you get for us? So, what new product? Well, um, I actually had my niece try out a product for us. Um, I know there's a lot of uh, summer camps and uh, kids getting started in riding, you know, for the, with the summer. Um, so what we picked was the uh, Tough Rider Starter Light Boot. Um, it's very similar to the... Um, the synthetic boot that Tough Rider has, except that they've, they've made some changes to it. They've put on a more streamlined, thinner sole. Um, so it's nice and light. It's, uh, you know, something that you're not um, worried about, you know, trucking through, mucking out stalls and, you know, doing everything kids are learning about with the horses, you know, when they're in the barn. And um, it's nice, nice to ride in. It uh, holds up real nice. Um, she really likes it, breaks in good. Um, they look really nice. You know, they've made some big changes with the synthetic. So, you know, it's, it's very hard to take a, you know, look at a leather boot and, and the new synthetics and, and they look very, very similar. So it's kind of hard to tell the difference, you know, but it's very economical, you know, and when you have kids getting, just getting into it, not sure if they're going to stick with it or not, you're not going to go out and spend a hundred dollars on a pair of paddock boots. We have them for 31 and change. Um, but they're a real nice boot. They come in the mocha brown and also black. There is zip up. Um, 
very nice looking boot. Nice. Now, how old is your niece? Uh, she is 11. She's 11. So she is, yeah. uh, and she, she, she normally would wear a tall boot. She, yeah, she does. But just for like hacking around and everything, she wears, you know, her paddocks and, and a pair of uh, half chaps, you know, and, nice. you know, doing barn work and, and stuff like that. And, you know, for $30, I don't really worry about, That's amazing. Um, you know, how, how much she mucks through the stalls in them, you know, but oh, no, for sure. nice, you know, in the, in the show ring, you know, they're, Wait, they're tell nice us the name of the boot again. With, T- tell us the name. Tough Rider. Tough Rider. Starter light. Starter light. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. So, so they were, how were they kind of to like break in? Actually, they broke in really nice and easy for her. Um, much easier than her new tall boots. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> She's like, yeah, we win. these tall boots hurt my feet. <laughs> oh, I know it really is. But, uh, I can't so tell you, Luann, do you still the worst part. Do you still have the problem when we had our tech business, we would get people buy tall tall leather boots like that and they would come back in two weeks and they would want to return them because they just didn't like them. They were too uncomfortable. And it's like, no, right, yeah. take them home and yeah. wear them another month and then let us know. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And yes, um, your feet the, are going to uh, hurt and you're going to have blisters and your legs are going to hurt and they're going to have blisters and all of that right. is breaking in tall boots. Welcome to the horse world. Absolutely, oh, I know. Absolutely. I keep telling myself tall that means they'll last longer. Are the worst. What, what was that, oh, yeah. Emily? What's that? I, whenever I'm breaking in new boots, when they're really hard like that, and they just like you just feel like they're not breaking in fast enough, I just comfort myself with that because they're so hard to break in. That means they're going to last a long time, and I won't <laughs> have to go. do this. Absolutely, <laughs> I'm paying the Absolutely. price now. <laughs> right, That's great. right. Yeah. So these were easy. They just yeah. kind of, but broke right in. They're synthetic, yeah. so you can just wash them. Yeah, I was actually really surprised because you know how well you know like. I remember synthetic boots from years ago that they just weren't flexible, pliable or anything. And these seem, you know, like they're, I don't know whether that's a thinner material or, or what, but they, they seem a lot more supple than the, the, you know, years past boots. So, um, yeah, no, she didn't have any problems with them. Yeah. So. And, uh, you said the footbed was more like a, it's got support. It's more like, less like a paddock boot. Yeah. And yeah, it's, um, and it has like a, a thinner, lighter sole. So they look real streamlined in the stirrup and they're very comfortable, not like heavy and clunky. Like some of the paddocks can, can be with that thicker sole. Um, so I, I, I like them. And, and so did my niece. She looks really good in them. You know, it looks good in the stirrup. So, um, I, and for the, for the price, I think it's great, you know, with, uh, kids just getting started, parents, not sure if the kids are going to stick to it or, you know, some kids are going to go away to horse camp that maybe never has ridden before, but the parents are trying to get them started into it. So, um, I think it's a, a very economical choice and they seem oh, yeah, to hold up sure. real nice too. That's great. And now what yeah. about the spur rest? Was there a spur rest on there? Uh, there is on the sides. Yeah. Okay. Nice. Yeah. That's a really good pick. And I mean, for sure. in in a, uh, child size new boot situation, I think because they're so small, you know, I feel bad when they're breaking in boots. Cause it's like going to take that much longer. They right. like, can't get their heels down. You know, it's right. like a big deal. 
Oh my gosh, that's and great. And also, that you know, like, and, and certain ages, you know, their feet grow so fast. Like you're buying two boots, two pairs of boots a summer because their feet are just getting, you know, so big so fast that, uh, you know, you don't mind spending a $30, you know, $30 on a pair of boots that they're going to outgrow in, in a couple of months. You know, it's not like spending a hundred and some on a pair of boots that they outgrow before they really even get broken, you know. All right, oh, totally. Louie, tell us the name again of the boots. It's the Tough Rider. Okay. Starter Light. And how do they, people go to equestriancorner.com and just search for Tough Rider or? Yep, they can go into, um, at theequestriancorner.com, go into the um, Young Rider apparel, and then there'll be a drop-down bar on the side. You can go into footwear, and then there'll be another um, drop-down that you can search for um, Tough Rider. Or there is a search bar at the top of our um, website that you can just put in the Tough Rider Starter Light boot at theequestriancorner.com. Thank you, Luann. Nice. Cool. Thanks, Luann. Check it out online, guys. Good talking to you again. All right. Take care. Talk to you soon. Bye. All right. And the other nice thing about that is when those boots get warm, they get softer. So... Yeah. <laughs> well, like, how nice is it to be able to just like hose your? Hey, we don't have anything. Off. We don't have anything leather here. Now we don't compete like <laughs> you, but you know when we're doing everyday stuff, driving, whatever, all our oh, harnesses yeah. synthetic. Jennifer uses Wintec saddles because everything yeah. molds in about totally. ten minutes here. In well, Florida. and like you wonder. I mean, like it's not really. You know, it, I have a I have a Tecna bridle that I love. It's black and it looks like a real leather bridle, but it's plastic and it's like, I don't know. I just feel like it's like safer too. You have so many of these tack malfunctions and cracked leather and I don't know. I'm I'm on board. I'm probably it's probably not very classy, but I love synthetic tack too. And <laughs> like I'm, I'm going to use it as much as I can. Well, you live in Florida, you have to. I mean, it's you a have requirement. To. The yeah. mold is outrageous. Yeah, you can't leave anything leather outside for ten. Oh, minutes. I know. Or even in a tack trunk, you know, it's nope. just yeah. No, nope, totally. You, you well, can't. Cool. <laughs> All right, let's introduce our next guest. So we have our next guest. We have Miss Taylor Flurry. We're so excited to get her on. She is another American breeder, which we're raising awareness for. And she has a very cool story. We wanted to specifically talk about one of her young horses she's had such great success recently with. So welcome to the show, Taylor. Good morning. Thank you guys for having me. Yeah, I'm so glad it worked out. We're we're Facebook friends, but we don't actually really talk. Can I so just I feel say like, before yeah. we before we start, Taylor, Taylor Flurry, you got a name of a movie star or supermodel? One of the two. <laughs> it's an awesome name. <laughs> it's a great name. Uh, well, if only. <laughs> <laughs> so you now you have um, Ali Boo Farm, which you guys are online. You've got a great website and and. Facebook as well. So AliBooFarm.com. And you have been doing breeding for how long now? Our first real crop is about five years old now. But we before that, we bred a, like one a year. Um, and our oldest one from that is about 10. But we really got into it like five years ago. I had a couple of surgeries and I couldn't ride for a year. Um, and so during that time, I had a nice mare that we bred. Um, and then I just started to, I had all this time on my hands cause I couldn't ride. Um, and so I started to research bloodlines and I was lucky enough to meet some really influential, um, renowned breeders who were helping me along in my path. Um, and so 
that's how we kind of stepped into it. And I love the process. I love developing horses and like creating horses for lack of a better word. Um, so that's my passion. So that's how we got into the breeding a little bit. Which I see um, on your website, you you offer that as uh, for for services. Not only you have your, of course, your homebred horses, but you do young horse starting as well. Yeah, we've started a lot for some good people. Um, Denise Wilson has been a great client of ours, um, and well, we just had her on today. Oh, did you? What <laughs> surprise! Small world. Yeah, <laughs> this is small world. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That's great. I that's right. Most I, that's of her that's young ones. So. Nice. And then, okay. Yeah. And then one of her good five-year-olds is a favorite of mine that we just sent down to Florida this past winter for her, and he's been great for her. So, yeah, I love Is that the Chin Chin? Um, the Corcovado, yes. He's my he's... old truck who is by Chin Chin, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. I did see that one jump around the five-year-olds. That's a really cool horse. Yeah, I think he's going to be a great horse for the future, so... Yeah. That's exciting. So you're passionate about the development and the breeding, which we this whole episode really has been geared towards this American breeding movement that has been happening. It's much more established now. We're starting to see horses in that, say, five to 10-year-old age group that are producing extensively in the state. So I think people are reevaluating whether or not that's an opportunity for them to shop in the States for top quality sport horses, hunters, jumpers, equitation, whatever. And, um, it, it, it's real and it is happening. So you have, uh, quite had really quite some success with, uh, with your young horses over the last couple of years. Yeah. Um, so my first good young horse role model, she was five and six year old horse of the year in 2011 and 12. Um, and she stepped into the ground pouring this year and has won a couple already. And, so she was my first real project that I got her when she was three. She was named after me during my surgeries. Um, oh. So I was the first one to sit on her and then brought her up um, all the way to the Grand Prix level now. And then this year we have a crop of five five-year-olds. So oh. it's kind of a lot, but they're really exciting. Um, the one mare, Catania Soplo, who has been just phenomenal this year, she's uh, we got her when she was a weanling in Europe in Belgium at the Zangerside auction. And she just something about her. I loved her breeding and I loved her eyes. And she just, she was built like a little powerhouse. And I brought, we brought her along since she was born. We start ours here when they're about coming three. Um, and she started showing last year as a four year old and she's just gotten better and better. She's actually in this year in the five year old, she was circuit champion down in golf court. She won every class she went in. And then she won. She was the only five-year-old at Devon to be clean both days. So that was really exciting. Um, and she's currently leading the USCF five-year-olds for the year um, with the new basis where they get X amount of points if they're clear, basically. Um, and so she's been, so they've been great. I'm really excited about the young horses that we have right now. And I'm excited to see their futures. Yeah, it's very exciting. And I love that you do the development yourself like this because there are there, there are quite a few now um, successful American breeding operations and everybody does it a little bit different and sort of where their market. We just had Maggie Fullington on talking about her with the okay. Bliss MF. Like and her her business is a little bit different. She ends up selling the the horses, the market right. for her is in that sort of yearling weanling. Um, and for you, you're right. 
developing and starting and showing. It's it's very exciting to see yeah, somebody do the whole off. thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've said my passion, though, is I don't know that I want to be a top Grand Prix international rider. Like, that's not my goal at all. I want to develop horses for that ring, but I kind of like being behind the scenes a little bit more. So um, my passion is more of the young horses and that developing them and whatnot. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I love that. It's so rewarding. And to have the bloodlines that you have there at the farm, it's really uh, incredible. Now, tell me, you stand your own stallions, right? Yes, we do. We have three this year um, that we're standing, and then we're going to get two more approved this summer, I believe. We have a Diamant Assembly Rio Grande Lord and Tippet stallion, who's um, also doing the five-year-old this year. He's approved with the BWP and the North American Stud Book. And last year at the Young Horse Show Finals, he was the High Point American Bread horse there um, for the score of over nine in the free jumping suit. So that was really cool. And then we have an Oscar Z Colado Cantor. And Oscar, um, I don't know if you're familiar with him. He, Christian Olsen shows him. He's owned by Zingerside. He won the Nations Cup up at Spruce Meadows a few years ago, and he's just really becoming a phenomenal producer. We have a couple of his young horses, and we love them. Everybody loves them. Um, and so we have that stallion, and actually that one's name is Crossby. And when he was approved with the BWP here in the States, um, we bring over the, Bel- the Belgian judge from the stallion approvals there, comes over here and does the approvals here. So it's pretty cool because you can kind of, it's really good to compare because he sees all the stallions in Europe and then he sees them here as well. So you're getting an accurate opinion, I think, or kind of an accurate measurement of where we are um, comparatively. And this young stallion, Crosco, was the highest scoring approved stallion with the BWP here in the States for for his free jumping score. So uh, the judge said he was on, he was, basically tied with the year with the Belgian champion the year he was approved. So that was really wow. cool. That's exciting. Yeah. Yeah. So are most of your horses really then presented for Belgian? Yeah, I'm on the board of the BWP. Um so I I have presented most of mine through BWP and we've talked about um going because we have a couple of Holsteiners, we have a Dutch. So we've talked about going like the Oscar Clado Cantus, he's pure Holsteiner, um, going to get him approved with the AHA American Holsteiner Horse Association. But sometimes it's just a matter of logistics, trying to met, get to the currings where you can get them approved. And so for us, we've just started with the BWP approvals. That's great. Um, That's really cool. Yeah and, then, yeah. and then the last stallion that we have standing, he's kind of a younger stallion. He's Five, but he was born in June, so he's a little bit greener than the two older five-year-olds. Um, and he's just stepped into the five-year-old ring this year, but he's actually a vagabond de la Palm who was just second at the World Cup with Penelope Leprevost. Um, and then he's got a Casantos um, dam line and then a Thoroughbred Bottom dam line, dam line. So he's super modern, and he's going to be really cool, I think. Um, so yeah, that's a neat-looking horse. He's he's yeah. big. They're they're all big, aren't they? They look big. Yeah, the Vufuzela, the Vagabond de la Palm, he's actually, I don't know if you were at the World Cup in Vegas, but 
Vagabond is like a huge like horse. Like he's really big. And Art Vuvuzela, he's actually a little bit more modern. Like he's sixteen one, but he's in his frame and his bone, he's much more modern and refined. So I think he's gonna bring a little bit more blood and refinement to a mare, which That's... I think we need in the sport today. Yeah. Yeah. So what are you sort of, what's your, um, you know, your direction, what are you trying to develop here with your program or improve on, or are you mainly concerned with temperament, with gates, with jumping, you know, how do you sort of gear your breeding? I definitely want a good temperament horse. Um, I want them to be rideable and willing and, um, I want them to work. I want them to want to work or want to win, be fighters. But I, I, I'm very selective in my stallions. I want them to have a good temperament or they, I don't believe, should be stallions um, because I don't think you should ever pass on bad temperament per se. Um, but mostly I, I look at like the athletic ability, the bloodlines. Um, I, I do look at the gates. I want them to be elastic and whatnot, but that's probably not my first thing that I look at. I more so look at um, their jumping ability, probably. Um, so, and I want to improve. I want to create horses that are rideable. Um, I want them to be top jumpers, but I want anybody to be able to get on them and ride them because I think no matter what, if a horse is rideable, it will have a job and um, be a quality horse. Does that make sense? No, absolutely. And I think the 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 temperament is so important and so clearly genetic when you when you yeah, breed to you find that. Of course, but phenomenal talent, but if they have an attitude and don't want to jump the water or have an attitude and want to kill you every day you get on it, that's not gonna be <laughs> it's poorly received. Nobody likes that kind <laughs> yeah. of horse. Exactly. No matter what kind of riding you want to do. No, for sure. So, no. so do you feel like, okay, when you're breeding, if you have a, a really great temperament on your mare, uh, is that for sure going to be passed down? I think the mare is so important um, to breeding. I think she's almost a little bit more important than the stallion. But I think that, um, I think for me kind of also I've seen the temperament is how you raise them a little bit. Um, I think that they're how, how they're developed and handled and raised has a lot to do with temperament, but I for sure think that the mayor does throw a lot of, um, the temperament and I, and so, yes, I do think that her temperament is passed on. Like my one mayor, the role model mayor, we have a couple of her foals on the ground now, and I see so much of her temperament and attitude in them. Um, and I don't know really? if, like their riding way will be the same way as her, but I see like their willingness and their like energy and whatnot. It's very interesting. We have, as you know, I had that mayor Restella and we had, we're able to get two babies yeah. out of her, which was awesome. She passed this last year. Um, but she does have two stallions. The one's five. He's, he's off in France now showing with the Gutals. And then the other one is three. Yeah, he looks we just awesome. got under tight. He's so cute. He's teeny tiny though. Like she is. It's ridiculous. I feel like I can like <laughs> click my heels together, but anyways, well, he's still growing he, golden grow. That's what I'm feeding him. You got a, our title sponsor, grow your own champ.com. It's a great supplement. Um, okay. but anyways, he, they actually say it's great for yearlings, all, all kinds of, um, 
uh, like the racetrack people love it too with the, the pacers and when they need like body mass and good. Yeah. They're giving their yearlings and and young horses, even mares in full. They say it's, uh, I haven't done it myself, but they have huge rave reviews from breeders who, who love it for the the whole stock all the way up to competition horses. It's very cool. Um, but anyways, he, so we had the two babies and she raised the five-year-old, um, nursed him and weaned him and everything. She did not produce milk for the second one. So unfortunately we had to get a wet mare. And so it, it's, they're so different. The two of them, they're really similar because I think a lot of the genetic stuff is there, but I wonder how right. different it, it is to not actually be raised by that individual, the imprinting, which then hand in hand goes with what you're talking about, the development as well. It, it, right. it matters. I know in the racehorse world, I mean, in the thoroughbreds, obviously they have to carry, but in the standard bread world, I've talked to a couple of friends who are in that world and they are very against recent mares um, because they think that they're so different, um, but it's not the same as having like a competition mare. I will say we have used some recent mares and, um, and It'll just be interesting to see, as you said, how they how they are when they get older. But I think yeah. a lot of the genetic does pass through. Yeah, for sure. That was so. interesting. So now tell us, before we run out of time, I really wanted to get some awareness for you on your campaign with, what is it, your five-year-old that's jumping so well? Yes. So fill yes. us so, in. What uh, is the deal? My, so one of my goals has always been to go to the World Championships for Young Horses which is in Lanark in Belgium, and it's hosted by Fingerside. And they, it's the top five, six, and seven-year-olds are invited to the World Championships. And each country is allotted so many slots to send their top young horses. And there usually ends up being, it's crazy, but there's like 250 in each age group for the five, six, and seven-year-olds. And I qualified a few years ago with my role model mayor, but we just couldn't make it happen logistically at the time. So I've always said it's been one of my goals to get there. And this year, the Catania Soslo mare, um, who is now five and who's been doing so well this year, she I, she's got an invitation to go, and I would really like to take her. And so we've never done this before, but we did raise a GoFund or we oh, we started a GoFundMe um, a GoFundMe website for it to raise funds to take her since it's so expensive to ship them over there and whatnot. Um, and I, I, in all my research that I've done, I've never seen an American horse rider um, win it over there or whatever. So I think that'd be really cool for the American breeding for a young horse that was raised, developed here, and everything, and has been competing here to go over there and be hopefully successful against all the Europeans and whatnot. Um, and so she's, it's uh, one thing that I do. I think it's kind of cool. I've always wanted, I, I like like statistics and everything. So I, all my young horses, I track all of their rounds and I want to know when they're like eight years old, how many rounds they've done and how many were clean, how many were four faults and whatever. And this mare, she's had one rail in the last 14 classes, but she, she's wow. had one rail all year and it was just a cheap rail at the last show. Um, and she's, the type of mare that I think will do really well in the five-year-olds because she's a little bit more of a speed type mare. Um, and so I think that she would have a shot at it over there, but she's pretty careful and brave as well. Um, and so, That's so exciting. Yeah. That would be huge for the American breeding scene. I mean, absolutely. I, uh, how are you, are you, are people logging on? Are you getting traction with your GoFundMe? 
Yeah. So it's getting there. I know that I need to be, I'm, I'm a really shy person. I hate ever asking anybody <laughs> for anything, but I know that I need to keep putting it out there. And even like $5, if that's all somebody can donate, every dollar counts. So I'm grateful oh, to anybody that wants to donate or can donate. Oh, it's um, such a great thing. If anybody can donate, please do, because this is where we need to be headed with the, the breeding in this country. And it, it, to have an opportunity to be validated like that on world stage is, I mean, you, you can't pass it up. But how do people log on? They go, they look under your name. So, yeah, they can either go to our Alley Boo Farm Facebook page and there's a link on there, or they can go to it's GoFundMe.com slash Catania Softwell. So her name, Um, but they can either look on my Facebook or the farm Facebook and there's links in both of those places. Oh, good. So you can, they can even just log, log into the alleyboofarm.com and and you'll find it there. That's very exciting. Now, when is the championships? So it's September 16th to the 20th. um, And it's just the coolest experience to go to Zangerside during that time because it's, I mean, it's like most European shows, but Zangerside is just a class act and the horse show is so cool because there's such quality young horses there and at the same time they do the stallion approval. Oh, I don't know what happened. Uh, did, did we lose her? Oh no, did we lose her? Taylor. Sure, so I think it's important oh, that back. we um, focus on them and help develop them correctly. Oh, well, it's really, really cool. So, I really hope that, that this happens. You guys log in. This is Taylor Flurry. Help get this five-year-old over there to the championships. Oh, it's going to be great for American breeding. And we'll keep up with you. Thank you so much for coming yeah. on. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Well, good luck. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Have a good rest of your day. Bye. You. Thanks. You too. Well, there wow. you go. All about breeding in the that. jumping world. Today. I know. On the heels of the epic European tour of horse shopping, <laughs> yes. I was like, we need to provide an opportunity for you were people feeling to guilty know how to shop here. <laughs> <laughs> you were feeling guilty. Yes, yes. The American market is where it's at. It is, though. You guys check it out. It's, uh, there are lots of nice horses to be had here in the States. Well, now let me, uh, let me just say that tomorrow, uh, Jamie will be back from... Flag is Up Farm in California, Monty Roberts' place. She'll be telling us all about her first couple days there at Flag is Up Farm. And then uh, on Thursday, Mary Kitzmiller will be here, so you'll want to tune in for that as well. And, of course, Emily joins us on the first Tuesday of every month, so you can go back to horsesinthemorning.com and search for for Emily Thompson, and you'll find all of her past episodes there uh, Emily, or just searching by searching for Emily Thompson. And, of course, you can find Emily at? Sequestrian.com and on Facebook. And we want to thank our other sponsor of this episode, and that's GrowYourOwnChamp.com. G-R-O-YourOwnChamp.com at Golden Grow. Well, thanks, Emily, for joining us. Good to talk to you again. Yeah, thanks. You too. Catch up soon. All right. Sounds good. Thanks, Emily. Take care. And we are going to be back here at 9 a.m. tomorrow morning. <laughs>